Are you an overwhelmed entrepreneur with endless tasks, emails, and messages? Do you feel your systems are ineffective or you don't have any at all? I get it. You wish you could come up for air and take that well-deserved vacation you've been dreaming of, all without sacrificing the growth or health of your business. I'm hosting a webinar to introduce concepts that you can use to learn more about how to clockwork your business for operational efficiency. The best part? The webinar is at no cost to you. It will be held May 14th at 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern, and a recording will be available for those who can't attend live. If you are ready to make a change in your business so you can take a real vacation, go to bit.ly forward slash May 2024 CFF to enroll. That's bit.ly forward slash May 2024CFF. I can't wait to see you there. Welcome to Biz Hope for You with host Candy Messer. Entrepreneurs like to focus on the big picture, like profitability, success, and a smooth running organization. There always seems to be those little things like taxes, employee compensation, laws, regulations, and more. Now, you can get the answers you need in one place. Join us today as we break it all down for you. Now, here's your host, Candy Messer. Hello, and welcome to Biz Help For You with Candy Messer. Thank you for joining us today. I hope you found the information on last week's show, Failing Doesn't Make You a Failure, informative, If you aren't able to join us and would like to listen to the show, links can be found on our YouTube and Facebook pages, as well as multiple favorite podcast platforms. If you would like to receive notifications on when our podcasts have been uploaded, please like and subscribe. If there are topics you'd find beneficial or questions you have, please feel free to reach out to me at media at abnp.com. Now let's learn a little bit about our guest today. Featured on the Today Show, ABC, Beyond the Business Radio Show, and CEO World, Dr. Troy Hall is an award-winning culture strategist, radio show host, speaker, author, and talent retention expert. His doctorate in global leadership and entrepreneurship has sent him across the globe to help leaders create cultures of cohesion and retain top talent in their organizations. Dr. Troy is the author of the best-selling titles, Cohesion Culture, Proven Principles to Retain Your Top Talent, and Fanny Rolls, A Mother's Leadership Lessons That Never Grow Old. He's a co-author of the best new book, Mission Matters, World's Leading Entrepreneurs Reveal Their Top Tips for Success. Dr. Troy was once told he did not have the talent to write. His mom, Fanny, reminded him, it's not the successes or failures that shape your life, it's how you handle them. Currently, Dr. Troy is distinguished as an international development educator and recipient of the South Carolina State House Resolution for his Global Leadership Exchange Program. In international mentoring program, he developed the industry-recognized mentoring program for the Carolinas Credit Union League Protégé Program. Dr. Troy has served on the boards of the School of Business for the Charleston Southern University and Low Country Orphan Relief and is an advocate voice for the raising funds and awareness for the South Carolina chapter of the Alzheimer's Association. So welcome to the show, Tro. 
Roy. I'm sorry, I'm having a hard time speaking today, it sounds like. Well, you know, we gave you so much to read in that bio, you could have cut half of that off, you know, and it would have been so much better. I, I feel like I owe you extra money for, for all those extra words that you gave. Oh, that's okay. We do like to give background, but there's probably so much more to your story than just what I've read. So I always love to say, can you tell me a little bit more about yourself? And I would love to also hear what made you decide to pursue a doctorate in global leadership and entrepreneurship? Well, the first thing that I would tell you that some things that not on my bio, first of all, I've been, I married my high school sweetheart in 1977. We have two children and six (laughs) grandchildren and those grandchildren go in ages from five months to 20 years. And if you could see me, please do not let the absence of hair or the hair color fool you. So, but (laughs) it's definitely all of that. Congratulations Um, on that. Yeah, thank you so much. Uh, We live in Charleston, South Carolina. It's where we call home. At one point in my life, uh, there were four generations of us living together Mm. under the same roof. And that's what we were featured on the Today Show for. Nice. I actually have a similar situation, not for myself, but my daughter's family. So uh, they were in Ecuador for a couple of years. And then when the pandemic hit, they were trying to get out and um, they were able to make it home, but didn't have a place. So they ended up going to my son-in-law's grandparents' house. And then his parents had been missionaries that had to come back. Um, They had come back on a furlough just before actually the COVID shutdown happened and they were living there. And my daughter and son-in-law now have two babies. So they have four generations in the same house as well. So I know it is definitely, (laughs) yes, and it's, it's definitely a challenge. And so, uh, you know, so, so you asked me a little bit about my degree and how I, you know, how I got there. And so. Well, so, so first of all, for me, like the only degree that I actually planned was my undergraduate degree. And so that was in uh, business management uh, with an emphasis in marketing. Um, somewhere in life, then I managed to uh, get a role where I was the, I'm the chief strategy officer or was the chief strategy officer for a local financial institution. Um, I'm now currently the chief strategy officer in the same location. But as the operation um, officer, my daughter said to me, she goes, dad, wouldn't it be great if we got our MBAs together? Mm-hmm. And I'm a romantic at heart. And I'm like, oh my gosh, this is really awesome. So let's see what that would be like. And um, so about two and a half years, um, I finished the program. Um, she dropped out, uh, was getting married, well, got married and was having a baby. So that's sort of how that went. So I felt like I got tricked into the MBA. And then shortly before I finished the MBA, I sort of had this calling to... Um, you know, really pursue uh, the doctorate degree. Um, I didn't need it for my current role of where I was. I didn't even need the MBA. I mean, I had a great Mm -hmm. job. I was in a C-suite role. Um, But I think for me, it's always been about education and learning. You know, one of my mantras is you don't have to know everything. You just need to be teachable. Mm, And it was something that my mom taught me a long time ago. She said, it would be much better for you to be a Mr. Learn-it-all than a Mr. Know-it-all. And taking that information and then also understanding that that knowledge by itself is not power. You know, when people say that, they forget the rest of the sentence. You know, knowledge is not power by itself. It's power when it's used. Mm -hmm. And so when you, that's how you get wisdom is by the application of the knowledge. If not, you're just a hoarder of information. Right. So because I had spent so much time traveling, I mean, one of the unique things for me is I've traveled to 45 of the U.S. states over 60 countries and set foot in six continents. And so this global aspect was, you know, really calling to me. And so I felt like it was, 
it was a good thing to do because I wouldn't just be a global leader from an academic standpoint, but I would be one from a practical perspective. Mm-hmm. And making sure that I really understood the context of how cultures are formed and shaped was very important to me. Um, one of the biggest issues that we fight today in this diversity, equity, and inclusion is something called cultural superiority. Mm-hmm. And it's where individuals believe that their culture is the very best and it's the most uh, pristine thing and that everything should be judged against it. Instead, what leaders really should be called to do is to have a much greater perspective of the world and therefore have cultural relativity. And that means that you will view what happens in a culture based on the context and the origin of the tradition, the ritual, the custom, the symbol, what happens. And you not, it, you know, it's, and, and understanding it does not mean that you have to agree with it because there may be things that are right. not that uh, impactful or, or, or it could be even harmful sometimes to the individuals in the culture. But it's not about evaluating the culture based on your standards. It's, it's making sure you understand how that culture came together and I have so many examples of situations uh, occurred. And one simple one I'll give you is this. I was teaching at De La Salle University in Manila and I was doing a leadership session. And so I asked the students at the time if they would raise their hand if they thought they were a leader and nobody raised their hand. Hmm. Now, when I do that same session in North America, most all the students will raise their hand. So I did a little more investigation to figure out well, why they didn't raise their hand. So instead of saying to them, oh, you should raise your hand, you should be a leader, blah, 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 I went to understand, well, why didn't you raise your hand? And the answer was because they believed in their culture that you earned the right for a title and they believed that leader was a title and therefore oh. you had to earn it. It wasn't just something that you could claim for yourself. Now, I teach and I do executive coaching where I tell leaders claim things today. You know, you want to you want to position yourself today, but I had to understand that that was not the way they were brought up in their culture. And if I wanted to introduce a more west western sort of uh, cultural view, I needed to do it respectfully within the way they would hear that information and not like, oh, well, you're a, a group of losers because you didn't raise right. your hand saying that you're a leader. When in fact they were very much a leader in so many of the ways that we would describe it. Uh, mm-hmm. So that's just one example of how I've been able to, you know, really use some of the information I have and also to really understand those, those cultural backgrounds and bring that to the work that I do. Mm-hmm. I think that's important too, because it, I think comes down to kind of what that culture values too, and not putting yourself in front of others often is, you know, one of those values too, and you're serving other people. And it might seem self-serving if you're like, oh yes, this is what I am. Right. You know, where here we are kind of taught, like, yes, you can go and do that. And it's just a whole different set of values that each culture has. Right. Exactly. And, you know, one of the things that I also teach is that you cannot serve the many until you serve the one. Hmm. Now let's unpack that for the listeners for just a minute. So it says, you cannot serve the many until you serve the one. So the first thing says that if you are the leader, you have to be right. You've Mm -hmm. got to get yourself together because you're going to lead many people. That's the whole idea, right? Is that you should be, but you have to have the right mindset to do that. You have to be prepared. Mm -hmm. You have to be ready for it. So the first act within the Cohesion Culture book is the first two chapters and it focuses on the leader because it doesn't matter whether we have principles to retain talent or not. If the leader doesn't understand what they're supposed to be doing and understand how they can be an effective leader in their role, then it it doesn't really make 
much sense. So that's mm -hmm. one aspect. The second aspect of leadership is to understand that we are not just leading them. We are leading individual him and her. Mm -hmm. And so therefore we must understand how we can relate to the him or her within the groups that we are responsible for. Because if all of our leadership is always on the upper end, on the surface or up in the umbrella area, and we never get down into the handle, we never get down into the inside piece, then we forget how we should be relating to the individual people so that we can respond. It's the leader's responsibility to meld him or her to the individuals they're working with. It's not about the individuals that you're working with to all of a sudden shutter everything that they have and actually conform to the leader. The leader mm -hmm. is supposed to be much more interactive in that process. Mm -hmm. And then the last part of that, that onion that will peel back on that, on that uh, quote is to say that you cannot serve the plight of the many until you've served the one. So you have to know the humanness of people and what they're dealing with and what they're going through to really see the needs of a much larger and greater group. And that became very evident to me when I was on a field engagement in Kenya. I had an opportunity to visit a village and there were three men in the village who had been rescued by a mentor, a person who had invested in them, gave them an education. They had an opportunity to either go somewhere else or go back to their village. They chose to go back to their village and make a difference. Now, the village that they were in was filled with crime. It was uh, poor economic conditions. Um, there were, you know, drugs, prostitution. I mean, it's just, it really wasn't a great space to be in at all. But they felt that they could make a difference. And so I asked them, I said, well, tell me, you know, what did you focus in on or how did you, you know, what were you, what are you doing? And they said, well, we decided that prostitution was probably the biggest area of crime in the area and the poor economic conditions. And so therefore we are going to decide and we're going to help work with people who, who have decided that they felt like they had no choice. So mm -hmm. if an individual chose prostitution as that is my career, they couldn't work with that mindset. They had to work with the individuals, with the women who said, I don't have a choice. I feel like that's all I can do. And so I said, well, what do you want to do? And they said, well, I want, we want to teach them to sew so that they can make something, take it to the market and actually sell it and distribute and receive cash and, you know, and have, have a different living. And, you know, my head automatically went to, okay, what we do in the U.S. I'm thinking like hundreds of sewing machines and a big warehouse and posters and banners and all kinds of emails going out to people to get them to come in so we could teach them to sew. And fortunately for me, I didn't say all of that outside my head that was contained within my brain. Mm -hmm. I asked them and said, so tell me, how will you do this? Mm -hmm. And they said, well, we're going to start with one sewing machine. And I was like, one sewing mm -hmm. machine? And they followed it up and said, yes, because we must change the mind of the one who will then change the mind of the two, mm. who will change the mind of four, who will change the mind of eight mm -hmm. and go on and on. And so they really, it was such a grassroots effort to be able to do it. And it was a, uh, the wonderful thing about it. And most people in the US, even some of your listeners today who are hearing this may not completely understand how much the US dollar goes in those areas. And for $50, they might be able to feed their family for a whole year. Mm. So selling at, a, so we think going to a trade fair or going to a, um, an art show and selling something 
you know, uh, craft show and selling something, we're, we're like, oh my gosh, we would never be able to survive on that. Well, once again, that would be applying our cultural values and not what was actually happening in that particular culture. So it's a wonderful story. That particular story is also included in the epilogue of the book, The Cohesion Culture Book. Mm -hmm. So I would love to start kind of taking this down into like the businesses too, because as individuals, this is great information for us to know as well. You know, like let's really look at culture across the board and not just think that we're the best, right? But what would you tell someone who is a business owner or running a corporation, how they can implement this cohesion culture into their organization? Well, Candy, thank you for asking. And I think the first thing we do is let's just establish what is a cohesion culture so that no one, people out there might be scratching their head going, what is this? You know, we've talked around it, but you haven't told me anything. So a cohesion culture is a safe workplace where people have a sense of belonging, are valued, and share in mutual commitments. So those three elements form the strategic framework for a cohesion culture, belonging, value, and shared mutual commitments. So when I work with organizations, what I teach them to do is to understand those concepts and then apply those concepts within their organization. So we take that strategic framework and lay it right over top of the company and we say, how are you developing belonging? Mm. How are you helping people feel like they have a sense that this is a great place to work? We know that's important. We know it's important for multiple reasons. First of all, we know it's important because as humans, we want to belong. We right. like to be included, right? We want to cohabitate with people. Very few of us really want to be so isolated that we want to be by ourselves. So that's never you know, specifically the issue. And besides that would be an anomaly or an outlier it wouldn't mm -hmm. really be the norm. So first of all, understanding that, that people want to do it. And so there's something called group identity. And one of the things that we like is that when we are with something or with a group that interests us, we give a piece of our identity in that group. So part of that belonging is giving a piece of our identity. Now I said a piece of our identity. If we gave our whole identity, then we'd be talking about the first four letters of the word cult, not mm -hmm. culture. Mm -hmm. So we're talking about the expanded version here where you give a piece of your identity. And when you do, two exciting things happen for leaders. Number one, people will be a part of that group and defend that group when others attack it. Mm -hmm. That's how you know that people are belonging. The second thing is that those individuals will work toward uh, the common goal, whatever the desired outcome is, they will actually put forth their thinking caps, they'll be creative, they'll be productive, they'll work toward it, because they believe that it's the right thing to do. Our belief system is extremely important, because it sources from our values. Mm -hmm. And so, again, there's lots more of that that we can pack into this, but just keeping to the strategic framework right now, we then move to the value section. And so in values, it's not just really how you treat people, which is very important. But the value says that I have purposeful and meaningful work. Mm -hmm. Does what I do matter? I mean, let's face it. Most people go to work to earn money to help them survive in their everyday life for whatever choices and decisions they make. Mm -hmm. But wouldn't it be great to also work someplace where you felt there was some value, where you felt you had purpose and meaning? Yes. And that's what we call level of fulfillment. And Simon Sinek tells us that when people are fulfilled, then they have a tendency to create a love relationship with their job. They tend to love it. And the research tells us that 87% of people who love their job 
are willing to stay. Mm-hmm. So we now have belonging, which is where it starts because I've got to, I've got to feel like I'm a part of something. I can't just fake it to make it. I got to really dig in. And then the next thing that happens is I now have to understand value. Like how does, how does my job make a difference to the product for the end consumer or to other people in the line of work who may touch something that I do? And then lastly, it's the shared mutual commitment. And mm-hmm. in that you've already got a little bit of that happening and that we're working toward the common goal together. But the area where I work with organizations so that they don't make this mistake, oftentimes organizations woo individuals to come work for them. They give them incentives. They tell them about this great culture. They build everything up. And then it becomes a deflated balloon when they get there. Mm. So to make sure that that process continues, one of the things that that I provide uh, to organizations to do is to ensure that they are explaining what is the future for the employee who's coming in. Now, maybe they have a one year moratorium on advancements and because they wanna make sure that you're in your job and you're not just job hopping and all those types of things. And and that's fine, you know, if you have that, but you need to explain that, but you need to say, what is the career path? What will this job do? How will it advance more? Individuals want to know that. And that is a very solid and a very easy commitment on the part of the employer to be able to give that to the employee. And then with that, then the employee sees hope and they see future. And therefore, they are then able to now further commit to what they need to do. Those three elements of belonging, value, and shared mutual commitment, that is what we call the cohesion phenomenon. And that is because it's a causal effect. So a lot we packed in here a little bit. So we talked about cohesion culture. We said, okay, what are the three elements? They're belonging, value, and shared mutual commitment. Kind of defined them so we knew what they were. And then I just threw at you this thing called cohesion phenomenon. Mm -hmm. So Candy, do you want to know more about that? Yes, please. (laughs) Okay, good. All right. So in the cohesion phenomenon, it's a causal effect. It means that when cohesion is present, then you get performance. Mm -hmm. And with performance, you get a level of engagement that every employer wants. They want people who are energetic. They want people who are committed, loyal, who will help other people, who will go the extra mile. All of those activities happen when cohesion is present. And a causal effect is a much better predictor of behavior than correlational data. Hmm. So oftentimes in business, we tend to make decisions based on correlational data. So I want to ask if you will participate with me in a little uh, little give and take. I'm going to ask you okay. a question and you answer it. And sure. we'll kind of share a little bit for the listeners on the difference between correlational data and causal effect. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right, good. So we're going to correlate two items and that's what correlational data does. It correlates two items and you have a statistical relationship or no relationship based on you know how it, it uh, comes out in the research. So I'm going to take rainy days and umbrellas and tell okay. you there is a statistical relationship between them. And likely you're, you're shaking your head. You already get that, right? Like right. rainy day umbrella. So I'll ask you this. So on every rainy day, do you always open an umbrella? No. No. And have there been days when there's not been a rainy day that you've opened an umbrella? I haven't, but I have seen other people who do to protect them from the sun. Exactly. If you go to the beach, you may even test out the umbrella. Mm-hmm. And when those individuals opened the umbrella, did it rain? Nope. No. 
That's correlational data. I can correlate them, but they don't cause them. Opening umbrella doesn't cause rainy days. Rainy days doesn't cause an umbrella to open. Mm-hmm. But when it comes to cohesion, it causes performance mm. each and every time. The research has proven it over 50 years of research has proven that when cohesion is present within a team, you get performance. Not only that performance, but you get the level of engagement you want. You don't have to worry about happy people. That's okay. It's good to have happy employees. But happy employees come from a what I call an extrinsic state of mind. It's mm-hmm. this ancillary things that are happening on the outside. Sometimes it feeds to the inside, but a lot of times individuals can be happy based on, hey, the sun's shining on me, or I've got a raise, or I'm driving a nice car, or I've got a nice window to look out of in my office or all the equipment I need, and that makes me happy. But that's not sustainable. What's sustainable is how you feel on the inside. Mm-hmm. And there's a Harvard Business Review article called The Power of Small Wins that was written by Amable and Kramer in 2011, which has great impact still 10 years later. That impact of information is still being furthered in the research, letting you know that how people feel on the inside of themselves when they leave at the end of the day is more likely how they will feel when they start the next day. Mm-hmm. And leaders just need to know how to feed that inside piece. And that's part of feeding the inside, the part of belonging, feeding the inside of value, feeding the inside of shared mutual commitment. So it helps leaders to understand that if what you want is to reduce the cost that you're getting when people keep walking out the door and right. put cohesion in place because it's a great equalizer and diminisher of the cost that you would normally pay when people leave. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people don't take that into consideration too. I mean, there's a lot that goes into the cost of replacing someone too, not just, you know, the time it takes to actually find someone and and the cost in that, but even your lost productivity or, you know, there's a lot that goes into that. So like I said, if you could keep them at work and they enjoy what they're doing and they're engaged, because I have heard there's a pretty high statistic of people that are not engaged at work. They just come, like you said, because they need a paycheck for now, but if they find something better, you know, they're kind of moving somewhere else. And I actually had a guest maybe like in the last six or eight weeks and the topic was called doing good at work. And it was kind of on the same thing where find something that gives you more than just like your job duties to do, but where you can make a difference and it definitely will make an impact. So this kind of goes along with that topic as well. So I think this is what a lot of people want to hear because you do want to make a difference. Yes. And two statistics that I think will be important for for your listeners that you've kind of uh, hit on a little bit um, is number one, the cost. It costs up to 40% of the individual's annual salary to replace them. That's a significant number. You did not need a degree in math to know that 40% is a pretty big number out of 100%. Mm -hmm. And so of that, 25% of that cost is the organizational intelligence that these individuals take with Mm -hmm. them when they leave. They know how to use the policies, the procedures. They know who to call in the organization. They understand the nuances of the way people interact and how things work and they get the flow and it's just easy. But Mm -hmm. when you get a new person, they have to learn all that all over again. And there's a lot of mistakes that those individuals can make that can be very costly to the organization. The other Mm -hmm. 15% of that number is built into the cost of acquisition and retraining that person. And some of it can also be added into the bonus that you may have to give to get that individual to, to come and work again. 
-hmm. When you were talking about individuals and that uh, fulfillment and finding the job that they liked and doing something a little extra, global studies tell us today that 40% of the workforce is actually defined as committed, somewhere in that, mm -hmm. that 38 to 40% range that you'll find individuals in a work environment are committed. 24% of them are detractors. They've, they just certainly checked out, they're just there. Then there's another group, about 36% to 38% of that group, that's called unsupported. They haven't quite made up their mind. They may feel that they haven't connected quite with a supervisor just yet, or they don't have all the tools to do the job. So they're not feeling like they really know their way around or feel like they're really connected. Those individuals need to now be brought into the belonging, to the value and the shared mutual commitment. So you've got a lot of work you can do there. And, mm. and if you look at it, that's the bulk of your of your talent, that 76% of your talent mm -hmm. is now those individuals who are committed or willing to be committed. Right. And so you're not wasting your time on the detractors, those individuals, listen, if they come along, awesome. But right. you don't have to spend your time trying to convince every naysayer that they should be a yes. Mm -hmm. You should be making sure that the individuals who already say yes, you give them great reason to continue to say yes. And for those who aren't sure whether they wanna say yes, then you give them all the reasons to say yes. Mm -hmm. because that is important information. So those are just two of these important statistics. And, and if I wanted to rattle another statistic for you, I would tell you that 63% of all employees are seeking growth development and advancement. And mm -hmm. these are not just new people who come in. These are people who are already in, and it doesn't matter what generation it's in. It's, mm -hmm. This is not the millennial group that people have quoted, unquote, labeled as entitled, that are always looking for a job. No, individuals in all generations, and there are five generations in the workforce today. They are all seeking to have growth development and advancement. Because why? Because we want to know there is a future. We right. want to understand that there is something more for us than what we may see today. Right. And there's meaning to what you're doing too. It's not just rote. You just do the same thing over and over again, but that there is some additional advancement or learning, or even if you don't want like a promotion per se, you just want to have where you've got some additional things that you have learned and you feel you've accomplished, right? You know, I think a sense of accomplishment is important for a lot of people. It is. It's one of the characteristics in today's workforce. There are four of them that we can look at. One of them is that entrepreneurial spirit. Uh, we find that not only are there more new businesses opening today than ever before, but there are smaller mom and pop shops that have been open. Mm -hmm. That's kind of like an entrepreneurial spirit. And even though it might translate into business activities for individuals opening up you know, boutiques or a, a variety of services that they may provide, the employee has an entrepreneurial spirit in mind. And that comes with what we call a sense of autonomy. The, mm -hmm. the individual employee wants to know what level of authority do they have to make choices and decisions? What are the resources that will be available at their disposal? They wanna know, are they the decision maker? Are they a recommender? Do they uh, provide input? Are they going to have, what, what are the veto struggles they have to go through? Mm -hmm. um, and then, you know, what is the educational um, opportunities I have to tell people about what I'm doing? That all falls under that entrepreneurial spirit. Then individuals want to be collaborative. These, mm -hmm. they want to have an opportunity to have their voice heard. These individuals want to make sure that they can dig deeper into the information, that they can communicate better, that they can create trust and unity within what's happening. And also through this collaboration, they can speed the value of what they're working on to the market. Mm -hmm. Then we have individuals who want to be socially connected. And it's not just through the social platforms, but right. again, that's that belonging. They, they, uh, McClellan's need theory uh, that he developed 
very specifically talked about three components, one of them being the need to affiliate, which is to belong, Mm -hmm. you know, and again, that work was supported by Freud and Klein's work in the 1920s and the 1950s that that said, hey, we want to do this. Uh, Rick Warren wrote a book about purpose-driven life and people Mm -hmm. wanting to find their purpose and they'll seek it through the universe. They'll seek it through a higher power. Sometimes we would seek it with people who live next door to them. So Mm -hmm. they look for the reasons why they were born, why they were created. So we know all of that is like very powerful, you know, in what's happening. And then the fourth characteristic in the marketplace is that of having purposeful or meaningful work. And Mm -hmm. it is so uh, present uh, to us uh, to to really make sure that we have value. Very few people are willing to just, you know, go along and yodi dodi do. And there may be a group of individuals who will do that. But again, that's not the that's not the norm. That's not the people who are definitely listening to your podcast. The individuals listening to your podcast understand what I'm talking about. They mm-hmm. they want to make a difference in the work that they do, or they wouldn't listen to the podcast. Mm-hmm. They wouldn't be interested in learning something new or different. They wouldn't have their minds open, which is why I'd say more and more over and over again. You don't have to know everything. You just need right. to be teachable. Right. That's so true. So obviously with you know, the pandemic and everything, the workforce and how they're working together has changed, right? A lot of people, you know, had to now work from home. Some now maybe the businesses are starting to reopen, but a lot of them are going to have, you know, kind of this hybrid environment. So then how can a company navigate that change where, you know, they might have people working from home and how do they make them still feel included? You know, they belong as part of that core organization. Like what tips would you give to a business owner or, you know, a manager that is managing people that are not necessarily right in the same room with them? Well, Candy, you're, you're, it's like, you're looking into my library of things that I have. So I do a session on cohesion. Uh, It's called workplace cohesion. And in that, uh, not only do we talk about some of the things that we chatted about before, mm-hmm. but also what are some tips or some things that uh, leaders can do? Uh, the very first thing you have to start with is the fact that um, you have to consider whether you have virtual, in-person, or hybrid, that you're going to treat people uniformly. Mm-hmm. So if you have um, uh, individuals who are working remotely, then you have to connect with them and it may take more effort on the part of the leadership, but you have to connect with them the same as you would individuals who were conveniently sitting at a desk just a few feet from you. Mm-hmm. And although the frequency with someone virtually may not be the same as seeing individuals when they pass in the hallway or when they're in a few feet of your office, if you're moving about and interacting in that way, it's still the leader's responsibility to make sure that they're connecting. Mm-hmm. So some of the things that I look to, number one, is I remind individuals that you have to involve the senses as many of the senses as you possibly can into the relationships that you're creating with people and making sure that the individuals in these cross-functional teams or cross-cultural teams are also using as many of the senses as they can. Mm -hmm. And so even though you and I are in a virtual environment today, um, if we were to receive a can of popcorn and we were to share this popcorn, then we would be able to have all of our senses interacting at the same time. Mm. And although we wouldn't be beside each other, we would all have a similar experience of eating the popcorn. And we would, first of all, see it. Mm. Uh, We would be able to touch it, taste it, smell it, and certainly hear it. Because Mm. when you crunch on popcorn, it's kind of hard not to hear it. So all the senses are involved and engaged in it. 
And then one of the other big senses that's important is called our spatal relationship. It's how our mind makes sense of our world and its relationship to three-dimensional objects. So mm. one of the things we caution against is to make sure that although you may have virtual teams, you need to sort of create an opportunity for them to interact, interact in a human capacity because that 3D person that we're relating to is very different than a, three, than a single person on a screen. Right. Um, so, so we wanna make sure that that's happening. Um, mm. You wanna cut down on impersonal communications. Uh, you want to add more huddles, more online interactions, more debriefings. And these are opportunities for individuals, not just to talk about work, but to also experience what's happening in their personal lives. Mm -hmm. If you think about it, you go to a meeting uh, in person. Most, some people show up early. What do they do? They interact, they talk. There's some conversation happening, some banter. If you set up all of your Zoom meetings to start exactly on the hour and end on the hour, you, al you don't allow for the opportunity for individuals to have that that camaraderie that would normally be happening. There's no interaction. So we'll always recommend that you start your Zoom meetings 10 or 15 minutes early so that individuals can come into the meeting if, they, if they're not back-to-back -back meetings and have an opportunity to socialize and sort of relate a little bit. It changes and makes such a difference. When you're having a Zoom meeting and you are using a shared screen and you put your screen on, you wanna move away from the screen from time to time, go back to the gallery view, let individuals see each other when there's a group discussion. So you just have to maneuver it going back and forth. Utilize things like the breakout rooms and polls mm -hmm. in that virtual world, just like you would in some of the face-to-face. -face. Um, mm -hmm. So those are just some of those items that you can do. There's things called a stay interview, and it's a little bit more complicated to do than on the, the podcast. But you know, that's something if someone would like to know, like, what are the questions in the stay interview and what's that all about? Then I just really ask them to try to seek out to me. Mm -hmm. I think a few other things that I would also mention is that you have to set some standards and some uh, protocols. Mm -hmm. If you expect True. individuals to dress a certain way at work, then they should be dressing that same way when they're virtual. Mm -hmm. If you expect them to have an office space that is uh, uninterrupted for the day, then you have to make sure that the individual working virtually has that same space. Mm -hmm. If not, then it doesn't work. Because the important thing to understand today as individuals and certainly employers or, and employees are, are making more efforts to work virtually and to utilize that is working virtually is not a benefit. Mm -hmm. It's right. just the way the work is being done. Mm -hmm. So, and because if not, then you could be creating some disparity between individuals by treating working at home as though it were a benefit um, and allowing people to have, uh, it's, it's good to have a flexible uh, work environment, but you should be as flexible in person as you're being flexible online, giving same considerations to individuals for what they do there. Right. Um, off, you definitely need to commit to their to growth and development, which means that if you can't just have in-person uh, meetings for training and development, but there has to be um, online versions. And the other thing we also, uh, when I say we, it's because I work sometimes with a team of individuals when we go in and we talk with these uh, groups and uh, companies is to say that if you're doing a training session where you're including virtual and in-person, the way you want to make that work is you want to equalize it. And all of the in-person people need to be in their offices on the computer. And so therefore the entire event is then done online. If you can bring everybody in and do an in-person then that's perfect and that's great. Also recommending that, er that every so often 
individuals need to come into the office. So even though they may be virtual, there could be a quarterly or a semi-annual event where individuals can get together and they become much more than just that flat person on the screen. That is important. Um, I, I think that all of this can be accomplished with individuals. And then the last thing is to make sure that there's some fun. Like, are you introducing fun into the work environment? We know that fun minimizes stress. It provides better morale for the individual. And it is very helpful uh, to provide a better mental well-being. And the mental well-being is extremely important over these last 16 to 17 months because people have been stressed and stretched further than they have ever been in the history of our work simply because of what we've done through the pandemic. Right. Yeah, that's definitely something none of us ever expected to live through. And, you know, and especially when it first started, no one knew, you know, here we would be, you know, like you said, 15 months later after, at least for where I was in California when it shut down, you know, everything shut down in March. So, uh, and things are finally going to start really opening up again, but it's been a long time, you know, so... It I think people been. are ready for that to, you know, have a little bit more freedom and, and being able to see each other face to face. Cause I know a lot of people I've talked to say like, I really just miss that face to face. Like, yeah, it's great. We can, you know, work from home or we can have these virtual meetings or whatever, but it is really nice to still have that face to face and feel like you can interact with people and really just have some of those, like you said, the casual conversations too, and just talk about how are your kids? How are your families? How are, you know, different things and even networking groups that I'm in. A lot of people say they miss that because it, you're right. You would have those conversations before the actual meeting began. And now if you're on zoom, unless you said, like you said, that that time is there, you really don't have that chance as much. No, exactly. Right. You know, it's the water cooler chat mm -hmm. or, you know, or uh, chatting in the hallway or, you know, whatever break room, whatever kind of, you know, even sometimes going to the parking lot or seeing right. each other on the way in and mm -hmm. being able to exchange common courtesies and, and greetings. So, you know, those, those things are extremely important uh, to make sure that they're still a part of. I do believe that organizations will be successful with a hybrid work environment. Mm -hmm. And I do believe that there'll be more technology that will become available that will allow it to be even easier than it may be today. But all I ask leaders to do is to remember whether you're virtual, whether you're in person or you create a hybrid with your teams, remember belonging, value and shared mutual commitment. Get these individuals to be a cohesive working team because when they do, they will perform in ways in which you may not have ever thought possible and they will be engaged, which is right. what you want. You want them to be energetic, highly functioning, uh, excited about what they're, what they're doing, helping other people along the way, making decisions, contributing. That's what you want. And right. the best way to get it is through cohesion. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Well, I know we're coming down to the end of the time that we have, you know, together. And I know, like I said, you mentioned in earlier in this podcast book that you have. So if you want to talk about the one or the two or how many you want to share, just tell them a little bit about the titles and what they would learn from those books. Well, thank you so much. And so the first one, because we've talked about it, is the Cohesion Culture Proven Principles to Retain Your Top Talent. And that particular book is available on Amazon. And for the listeners of your 
uh, podcast, I will be sending a link to you that will allow them to preview the first chapter before they would even buy the book to decide if they would be interested in, uh, in looking at the book and doing that. So I want to make sure that people have that. And the, this, uh, the book is bro- broken into three sections. The first is the first act is be a leader. Mm-hmm. Second act is build the culture. And the third act is bring it to life. And mm-hmm. on page 103 in that book is what I call the cohesion culture talent retention model. And it gives you a visualization of how the HR strategies work with culture, works with your uh, core values of the organization, talks about your relating and learning and all those pieces. And you get a chance to see it. And that that final act actually gives you examples and practical things. For me, it was really always about giving you a one-stop shop. Here's Mm -hmm. a book that will tell you, that will take you from soup to nuts and will give you everything or nuts to soup, depending upon which way you want to go. But it gives you all the pieces that you need so that you're not just waiting for the next book to get mm-hmm. something different. It is, and it's, and I kind of wrote it, I, you know, I have a love for the theater and a love for um, just music and uh, uh, reading all sorts of things. So there were examples that I used in the book. I'm a metaphorical trainer or speaker, and I like to create analogies like we did with the the umbrella conversation mm-hmm. and the rainy days. And so I infuse some things in there. So there's a chapter on the Mary Poppins effect. There is the final chapter is there's no place like home. And you can imagine that that has to do with the, um, with the, the journey of Dorothy and mm-hmm. her comrades. And so you get a little bit of an understanding of how cohesion is applied, how it would have, how would have, it would have meant something to Dorothy, the Tin Man, the Cowardly Lion and the Scarecrow. So a uh, little Toto is just there as a little side, little humor, but, but definitely there's a story there for that. And so those are the types of things that would be in the book. It's not your traditional business, blah, blah, blah book. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a little bit of blah, blah, because you got to have that academic background, but then there's some fun with it and for ways you, for you to think about it. I, one of the chapters is dance like no one is watching or dance mm-hmm. like everyone is watching. So <laughs> it's, you know, a little fun with that. And, and so I built from that particular book, the, the, the next book I'll talk about is the Fanny Rules. And that is, it's Fanny Rules, A Mother's Leadership Lessons to Never Grow Old. That book is number one today on Amazon and the business and professional humor category. And um, my, my mom's nickname was Fanny. And my uh, situation is that when I was 12 years old, my mom was diagnosed with breast cancer. And mm-hmm. I lived in a very poor town in West Virginia with limited education, limited economic means, we lived 30 to 45 minutes away from any place that would provide any um, health resources. And 50 some years ago, when individuals um, were told that they had cancer, it usually was a death sentence. Mm-hmm. So we thought mom would die. So my mom was on her deathbed, basically in our minds, mom was mm-hmm. on her life bed. Mm-hmm. My mom made the choice not to let cancer define her and that she was going to live every second of her life until it was gone. So I nurtured her at her bedside so dad could work and my brother was being taken care of elsewhere. And during that time, mom poured a tremendous amount of practical wisdom into me about how you treat people and life in general. The good news is that mom survived 43 more years, but she could not survive dementia or Alzheimer's. Mm. And so eventually uh, she was taken from us. So when you think about the horrific effects of Alzheimer's, you know that Alzheimer's steals a person's memories. So this book 
has 31 teachable moments, which are 31 memories that I hope to give back to family, friends, and colleagues, sort of return what Alzheimer's stole from mom, I'm giving back. Mm. And so my proceeds of the book, all benefit the Alzheimer's Association so that they can use it for furthering research and fundraising activities and other types of events and education that they can do um, with that. So uh, it's really just hopefully a great thing. I hope that the, the readers will find and love Fanny the way I loved on her and will find that those lessons will, will be great. And they have to try to at least want to know how in the world could, a, could this person be named Fanny? And then I'll tell you that the, my dad was nicknamed Slim. Uh, and they were married for six, 65 years as Fanny and Slim. And nice. most people did not remember their real names. Oh, wow. I think, you know, it's always interesting to hear. And I love to be able to read stories like that, too, like inspirational things, too. But, um, I, you know, you have two great resources, it sounds like. One is just, you know, great information with, again, not just your, like, boring here are the facts, but it, it has some type of, you know, entertainment to it almost, you know, but then this other one where you're taking really wisdom that you got and being able to share that. So I think that's amazing. So I'm glad that you're letting the listeners know about those. Yeah, thank you. And for mom, mom was my my greatest mentor. Mm. And so the book at the end of each of the uh, rules, because there's no chapters, there's rules, there's nine rules. Okay. And at the end of each of the rules, there is a section called the teachable moments. And it's a recap of what those teachable moments were within the chapter. Mm-hmm. And then there's another page or two that can be used as either a self-help guide. So, or you can use it if you have a mentoring relationship. So you oh, can nice. use, so the book has value. So in addition to you having some heartwarming stories that all of a sudden makes sense and you go, wow, I can't <laughs> believe that's so common sense, but you can then apply that common sense through that teaching because I didn't want the teaching to stop there. I wanted mm-hmm. it to do the mentoring. You, you mentioned in the very beginning of my bio, my global leadership exchange program and the mentoring program that I have designed. And it's just something that's important to me. I, I really believe that my mission in life is to help others be successful. I mm-hmm. take to heart a leadership definition of it's my responsibility to motivate, influence and enable others to be successful. That means I stimulate them toward their desired goals, dreams, and aspirations. I influence their thinking by molding it in a way in which will help them with their mindset. And then I help remove barriers or give them the resources that they need to actually shine and be successful. My Mm -hmm. mom always taught me, she says, take care of people. She said, Mm -hmm. you will never want anything in your life if you take care of others. That's so so true. And I'm glad you were on my podcast too, because my reason I even have this podcast, my goal is to help other entrepreneurs too, to be successful, right. And to give them the information that they need, whether it's in my industry or not. Right. So this is, this conversation had nothing to do with really my industry, but my goal is to really help the entrepreneurs or, you know, business owners that may be someone in corporate too, but most of the audience is entrepreneurs. So I'm glad that you were able to come on and even share this information to help them like know what they could do to be better leaders and to have this whole cohesion and build their team and, you know, have everyone feel like they belong. So I, I know this is a great topic. I'm glad that you were here to share it. Well, thank um, you so much. It, sure. Go ahead. No, I was saying thank you. I was just going to say too, I, I want to make sure that you can tell the listeners how they can connect with you too, whether you have a phone number or website or social media, any way that you want to share. Well, sure. The easiest way is to go to the website and it's drtroyhall.com. 
and you'll find a connect page. And there you can fill out the connect page and connect with me. And then I'll return information with you and share phone numbers and we'll figure out how and what is the best way to connect. I'm also on multiple social media platforms at Dr. Troy Hall. So I made it really simple. I just 10 <laughs> letters, right? It's a 10 <laughs> letters and then a dot com, you know? So right. it makes it easy for people to figure out how to get in touch with me and, and to do that. And I always encourage folks to reach out as often as they want. Sometimes they think, oh my gosh, this guy is so busy. And I remind them that I'm in charge of my own busyness, mm. not anyone else. That's so, so true. you know, reach out to me and give me a chance to, to connect with you and Certainly, if you look at me and follow me on LinkedIn and Facebook, I'm pretty much an open person. You know, I've got, you know, what I feel about and how I feel about things. I, I speak my mind on it and I try to speak it in a way in which I'm taking care of the people who are listening. Mm -hmm. uh, Mom always said that my character would be defined by choices, not circumstance. Mm, we, were, we were poor as a circumstance, mm -hmm. but that did not define our character. Mm -hmm. And so just those very basic things have really been a part of me. And I'm just blessed that I was able to acquire an, a, a degree program. I mean, you know, let's face it. Um, people would listen to me as Mr. Hall all the time, but <laughs> listen to me differently as Dr. Troy. So mm -hmm. there's just a little different in that, you know, how that, that all came about. You know, a funny little story here as we, as we also close is one of my friends said to me when I was doing the doctoral program, are you going to make all your employees call, call you Dr. Hall? Mm -hmm. I said, absolutely not. They're going to call me Mr. Dr. Sir. <laughs> so, so again, we just had a fun with it. And as a result, then my colleagues affectionately name me as Dr. Troy. So that tends to be what most people call me. And even though, you know, I'm just a regular guy and for the mm. most part, I'm just Troy, but it just happens to have that, that little attached moniker, that doctor to it that, mm -hmm. you know, becomes it. And, you know, it's a great thing. It's a lot of fun. I enjoy it. Perfect. Well, I do want to thank you again for your time today. I've enjoyed this conversation and I hope you did too. And I'm sure the listeners are going to appreciate what you shared. Well, thank you so much. And of course I enjoyed it. I talked about my favorite topic, <laughs> me, right? <laughs> Perfect. So, yeah, great. Thank you. So, and I also do want to thank our listeners uh, for tuning in as well today. And I hope you found this topic interesting and that it did answer some of your questions about cohesion culture. And feel free to reach out to Troy at the website that he shared, or you can send us a message at media at abandp.com. And would you please share our show information with those you know? I'd greatly appreciate your support. I hope you can join us for next week's show, Running a Lean Business. And please remember, you can connect with us on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn. And my website is abandp.com. And again, you can find the podcast posted on multiple favorite podcast platforms, as well as our YouTube channel. And until next time, I hope you have a great week. Thank you for listening to This Help For You. Please join your host, Candy Messer, again next Tuesday. Have a terrific week.